Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Maybe it's me. Ah! Well done. So we're going to continue on our Heart of God series. I hope that you've been just thinking and meditating on some of the things we've been trying to cover. Because as a church, as a Christian person, to know the heart of God and to desire to live the heart of God and to position yourself in a place to say, hey, I want to know what the heart of God is because I want my life to align with God's heart. It's a pretty important process, isn't it? And so this morning, this morning we're going to take on the heart of God and um, the topic is going to be this, joy. Joy in the heart of God. And I'm going to take that from a couple places, but it's fairly obvious that in life, we all seek and endeavor to be happy. How many people want to be happy? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. So much so, I, was, I went online, I started looking at how can I know if I'm happy, and I found an online test to determine whether or not I was happy. It was like eight questions, it was very, very simple. While I was taking the test, I didn't feel particularly happy. But when I finished the test, it was on Oprah's website, so I know it's accurate. (laughs) When I I finished the test, it told me, it says, your score, my score was 65. And if I scored between 50 and 72, that meant I was happy. So a little word came up, it said this, it said, congratulations, consider yourself a happy person. So I felt good about that. I'm considering myself a happy person. But we all do. Just like we all desire food, we all desire something to drink when we're thirsty, we all desire happiness. And certainly God didn't create us not to be happy. And so as we talk about the heart of God, it's very important that we understand the heart of God for joy and joy forevermore. I want to start by this very simple premise, but before we do, let's pray, and let's ask God to open our hearts and speak to us, maybe even bring a fresh wave of joy into our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the chance to be gathered this morning. Thank you for Family Sunday. Even those of us that may not have families present here, biological families, we know that you've placed us in this family, and that as a church, we represent the divine family, even as we're here on earth. And so thank you, God, for welcoming us as sons and daughters, as children of the Lord. And God, that we are brothers and sisters together. Thank you that we can share a meal together, prepared by those eager to serve. Thank you that we can gather in this room and sing songs about how you're exalted in our lives and how, Lord, you bring good things to us in our lives and how we need you. Thank you that we can gather and even listen to your word, the truth, your heart, proclaimed before us that it might shape and transform us and help us to see and to know you better and in doing so, be who we're meant to be as well. So I just pray now, God, as we go through your word, let your word go through us, transform us and change us. And God, I pray for your blessing in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So as we talk about the heart of God and joy, I want to start with this very simple premise right here. 
that the path of life is filled with joy and filled with God's presence. Let me just make that even simpler. God is joyful. I want to show you this verse. It'll, it'll help you to see that. God is joyful. It's in Psalm 16. It says this, You make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. What is that scripture saying? What is the psalmist saying? He's saying, look, in the presence of God is eternal pleasures. When you're with or near God, you are with or near joy. How many people like being around joyful people? Right? Have you ever, like, been around a little baby that's laughing? It doesn't take long. Every single person just starts smiling and laughing, right? Because joy is contagious. And the scripture here says that in God's presence is joy. Because God himself is profoundly joyful. I love this quote. John Piper said this. That from all eternity, from before all of time, God was alive with volcanic joy. That God himself is alive and who he is is filled with volcanic joy. The joy is erupting from God. From eternity past to eternity future, God is joyful. And that's why the scripture can say, you know what? In his presence, there's joy. At the right hand of God, there's pleasures forevermore. God is a happy God. I think happy is too light of a word because it it has to do with kind of our emotions or what's going on at the moment. But joy, joy is something profound and deep, and it's part of the essence of who God is. For you to know God means for you to know joy. How many people know, like, grumpy, frowny Christian people? Do you know any of them? I know. You're like, yeah, you're not supposed to be unhappy all the time, but you are. Like, well, I'm trying not to get those smile lines for when I'm old. But Christian people, those who know this God of joy, are to know joy themselves. Because the God of joy desires to pour joy over your life. If you look at the second point, it's this, that God joyfully delights in you. Well, how do we know that God would joyfully delight in us? Well, it's because it says it in the scriptures. Zephaniah 3, 17, it says this way. The Lord your God is with you. He is the mighty warrior who saves you. Amen? He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that something that the God of joy, who is in himself from eternity past to eternity future, is himself joyful, that he delights to pour his joy over you. So much so that the scripture describes him as singing songs of joy over your life. Have you ever heard God sing a song of joy? It's a pretty wonderful picture. What about what it says in Isaiah? Isaiah 62, it says this, As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder, talking about God, will marry you. God covenants himself to you. He's not in some fickle, super emotional drama relationship with you. 
I'm not sure what your side of the relationship with God is. Maybe that's filled with drama. That's fine. No, it's not fine, actually. It's bad. But God himself says, no, I'm going to covenant into a steady, forever relationship with you. And he describes it as marriage. And then he says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Isn't it incredible? I mean, I don't know. When you first got married, what it was like. Some people say the first year of marriage can be tricky, but... We, we, when we got married, the first couple of years were like ignorance and bliss. It wasn't until those darn kids came that things got tricky. <laughs> uh, anyways, that was our fault, not theirs. But the idea is that when you get married, you're like, you delight in each other. It's fresh. It's new. And in the same way, as a bridegroom delights in his wife, so God delights in you. Think about that. Does that bring you joy? Does that make you happy? Does that lift something in your heart? That God is joyful and God delights and he pours his joy over us. It makes you wonder why more Christians aren't more joyful. Maybe we've got a wrong view of God or maybe we're just not looking at God. We're not taking the time to see past circumstances and discouragements and see that the joyful God of heaven, volcanic joy, delights and rejoices over each of us. It's wonderful. The third part of that I want you to see is this. That we find our joy when we draw close to him. We find our joy where? When we draw close to him. You have to just take your pulse right now. Every once in a while, I like to take my pulse, make sure things are still operating internally. Blood's going through where it's supposed to go. And What about the pulse of your spiritual life? You can often take the pulse of your spiritual life by the level of joy you experience. I'm not just talking happiness like I'm having a good day. I'm saying the deep-rooted joy of the Lord. When I say deep, I mean this. From Psalm 87, it says this, that those who sing, I better look at it for my real notes. Those who sing as well as those who play the flute shall say, all my springs of joy are in you. That God is the source of all joy. And those who want to sing or those who want to play an instrument, if they are looking for the source of joy, it's not in their music and it's not in their instrument. It's a spring of joy that's found in God. And so it's quite simple that for us to find joy, we have to draw near to him. I was, um, I was doing serious theological research, so I Googled how to be happy. Have you ever? It's really fascinating, how to be happy in life. You put that in your little search engine, let me tell you what happens. It's a little overwhelming. So I saw this link. It said this. It said, 30 things happy people do. I was like, okay, that seems like a lot of work, but maybe I could take on the 30. And as I read it down a little bit, it says, no, 25 things that happy people do. I'm like, well, that seems a bit easier. It's only 25. But if you keep going and keep researching, that's why you have to be really diligent. 22 habits of happy people. Hungerforchange.com. I kept going on. I was like, well, That still seems like a lot to do just to be happy. 
So I researched further, and I found 15 powerful things that happy people do differently. Well, that's 15. I mean, that can't be very hard. I kept going. 12 things happy people do differently. 11 things happy people almost never do. So then I thought, oh, wow. You're kind of switching things around on me here a little bit. I'm going to have to think this through, but it still felt like 11 was too high, so I kept looking. And then I found, I don't know, this is 10 scientifically proven ways to be incredibly happy. I was like, oh, wow, it's on, like, Inc.com. Like, if they're scientifically proven to be extremely happy, I'm like, maybe that's the way to go. And then I thought about it, and I thought, well, 10's a lot, even if it's scientific. I'm not all that scientific. So then I found one better. It's like nine things you can do to be happy in the next 30 minutes. I'm like, wow, that's quick results. 30 minutes, I get to be happy. I can't even do nine things in 30 minutes, though. So I found seven things remarkably happy people do often. Seven. So, well, I'm on a roll. Might as well just keep going. Six things happy people do every morning. Yeah, I know. That's from, uh, that's from where's that from? I don't know where that's from. But I thought, I'm not really not that consistent guy. So if, I'm, if I have to do them every morning, I probably won't be happy. So I researched on. And then I found this from Oprah. <laughs> Back to Oprah. <laughs> Five things every happy woman does. And I thought of how nice it would be if I were to be a happy woman. But I thought, I don't know, I mean, I'm kind of egalitarian. I think men and women should be able to have equal access to happiness. But it promises it for women. So I had to look on. So lucky for me, Men's Health published five things naturally happy people never do. So I'm never going to do those things. And on and on it goes. Here's, here's the problem. I read through those, and some of them are the same. Some of them are very, very biblical. Here's the problem with that, though. All of those things are based on the premise that you must do something to be happy. That if you do this or don't do that or do this every morning or, or uh, you know, do all this kind of, if you do those, happiness is yours. It's based on you and your performance. But listen, that is not the biblical teaching that we're finding today. The scripture says, All of our wells of joy are in Him. And I want to just, I want to, I want to share this idea with you. And I think it's a profoundly biblical idea about joy. The joy in life should not be our goal, but rather, joy is living in the victory that we have in God. So if somehow we can say, instead of chasing and searching out, this will make me happy, that will make me happy, this person will make me happy, buying that will make me happy, achieving this will make me happy, all these kind of things. If I marry the right person, it will make me happy. If I divorce the right person, it will make me happy. All of these different ways in which we do things to try to find happiness... They can all be resolved by this one simple thing. That living 
each day in the victory that Jesus won for us. Because joy, and we all want it, is about living in victory. It is about being a winner on the, in the soul level. At the very deepest level, if you feel like you're a loser, you do not operate with any joy. You're like, oh yeah, I'm a loser, man. My life's never going to count for anything. We don't operate that way. We need to feel as if somehow at the soul deepest, most profound level that our lives are significant, that they matter. That we are a people who of victory and of accomplishment and that there's purpose in our lives. And that God is adding to our life good things. And he is subtracting from our life bad things. Joy is found and we, when we connect ourselves to Jesus and say, I'm going to live in the victory that Christ won for me. Because at that point, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Things could be going all wrong. But you're still living in the victory of Christ. Things could be going all right. And even still, my truest joy, my most profound joy, is that I'm living in the victory that Christ won for me. And that becomes our joy. We... um, did a little experiment this week. We asked our, our SOMA, Team SOMA, our youth group, to fill out some cards. And on those cards, I said, on one side of the card, fill out things that bring you joy in life, right? And on the other side, write things that steal and kill your joy in life. My favorite was this. A person wrote, things that bring me joy in life, family, Friends and the Chicago Cubs. And I flipped, flipped it over and it says, Things that kill joy in my life was sin, homework, and the Chicago White Sox. Like, man, this kid has got it together. He knows stuff. That's not true because the Chicago Cubs took all my joy this week. They just took my joy and they ran it right through the mud. But we did some, you know, more statistical research. We put together a little spreadsheet for all the answers. And things that our young people here in the church felt brought them joy in life. Top, I'll do the top four. Number one, praise the Lord, they said, my relationship with Christ. They were in youth group. They had to answer that. Jesus is always the answer. But they did, and they, I'm proud of them for answering that way because it's true. Number two was friends. Number three was family. And number four was music. Isn't that great? But I think, I think music is a great source of joy because music, in such a creative, wonderful way, kind of presents and puts forth all these wonderful vignettes about life. And it gives us a moment, an opportunity to express joy. Unless, of course, you're listening to music that doesn't express joy, then it might be the opposite. But the things that take away or kill joy in their lives, tied for first, this is great. Tied for first was annoying people, slash violence, slash haters, and things that have anything to do with school. 
And number three was uh, the stresses of life. There are things, habits in life that we can build that will add joy to us or that will kill joy in our lives. I'm going to end. I just want to hit a couple of these ideas. Things that add joy to our lives. First one I want to say is this, joy givers. You grow joy in your life by opening your heart to the Holy Spirit every day. And it goes back to the main point of participating in the victory of Christ. That a byproduct, a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit every day is an overflowing joy. And I would add to that an overflowing boldness. Your confidence and your your boldness in God goes up. But the idea of every day saying, Lord, I need your presence and I need your power. And I'm opening my heart to be filled today with the Holy Spirit is a key factor to living in joy because the Holy Spirit, he is the one that is the power and the presence of Jesus that, who brings that victory into your life every day. Even if it's a bad day and you're going to work and you hate it and things are going bad, and suddenly you're like, Holy Spirit, I need something other than my circumstances to bring me joy today. I need to live. I need to abide in the victory of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes that a reality for us. And the Bible says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. If your heart or life is low, if your relationship with the Holy Spirit is distant, then you'll have a hard time maintaining joy in your life. You'll have to go back to 30 ways to be happy instead of one way to abide in Christ. Another, just a habit for this is, number two is experience hardships as an offering to God. What do you mean by that? Experience hardships as an offering to God. Philippians 2.7. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's going through a lot of things. He's in prison. He's been beaten. He's, just, he's having a bad day. And he's writing this letter to Christians. And he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrif- as a sacrifice, and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That we take the circumstances, the hard circumstances, the circumstances that that wouldn't naturally bring you any joy, the ones that feel like suffering, whether you brought them onto yourself or whether God's just taking you through a season, that those experiences, those negative and difficult experiences, you lay out as an altar to God and say, you know what, Lord? I'm giving you this as an offering of worship. Think about something that really just frustrates you in life, that steals your joy, that absolutely sends you in the wrong direction. And say, Lord, the next time that happens, the next time something like that happens, and it just messes with me, and it steals my joy, and it drags me down, and I start a nosedive, I am going to take that circumstance, I am going to lay it before you as an offering. And say, Lord, even now, even if my life is being poured out, I rejoice. Because I'm, I'm living for you. And I will praise you in the good times, and I will praise you in the horrible times. You see if you won't find a fount of joy welling up in your heart in the midst of those circumstances. 
It's the times when we take those things and we fight them and we hate them and we resent them and we push against them and we find nothing good in them. And you know what? Nothing will come good come of them. Unless we can lay these things before God as an offering, as Paul did, and say, Lord, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I'm not going to be afraid. I know you'll comfort me. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me, pursue me, even overtake me all the days of my life. I love that psalm because it talks about how even in the presence of enemies, God creates a banquet table of joy that we can participate in. Life doesn't have to be perfect or right or even close for you to participate in the banquet feast of God's joy. But what you do with those experiences is the key. You say, Lord, I just take these, I lay them before you as a drink offering of worship. And trust that the joy of the Lord won't come and find you. All right, last one, number three is this. This one is huge. Serve in your gifts, right? Find a way to serve someone else with the way that God has gifted you. And we all have different kinds of gifts, so this will look different for everybody. But you find a way to serve in your gift, you will thrive. I had a great conversation with a couple very neat, orderly people recently. And they were talking about the joy of order in their life. That having some sort of order in their life, it just brings them so much happiness. I was not able to participate in that conversation. I don't live in a, my world. Is like It's not orderly. It's different. But maybe, maybe you find joy in order. Then you know what? Take that gift and serve somebody with it. Go help someone. Bring some order out of their clutter. Go serve somebody who's trying to figure out where to put the spoons in their kitchen or someone who's trying to figure out how to manage their budget or someone who's, who's trying to make headway in that and they just can't. Serve somebody with that. Maybe you're just a social. You could talk to anybody and you're, you love people and that's a gift you have. You know what? Invite some people over who struggle with that. And just say, you know what? I'm going to invite these, these really awkwardly difficult social people. Now, if you get an invitation, it doesn't mean you're that. But, but I'm going to have them over. And typically when they go to a party, they sit in the corner and just like look at their phone. But I'm going to have conversations. Great and wonderful conversations that cause joy. You'll be blessed because of it. And you know what? You'll bless someone else. If your gift is mercy, go be merciful. You will find joy in using your gift. If it's teaching, invite someone into a Bible study. Say, Let, let's, let's do a Bible study. i got some things in my heart I'd love to show you. I'd love to teach a little bit. If your gift is leadership, Oh, for the sake of the Lord himself, lead, lead, lead. Sometimes people with gifts of leadership just sit there and rot because they think nobody wants them to lead. That's, that's wrong. It shouldn't happen here. It shouldn't happen anywhere. If you have a gift of leadership, you need to lead because you'll find joy there and you'll help people, etc., etc., etc. You want to find habits of joy, joy bringers? Find yourself filled with the Holy Spirit every day. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, maybe you just need to write it above your bed. Like So when you open your eyes, it says Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine. It's good. It's 6 a.m. But be filled with the Spirit. 
Be filled. Number two, happiness. And joy comes from taking all the hard things in your life and offering them as worship to God. And number three, serve people in your gifts. Can you do that? Serve people in your gifts. I'm going to end with this scripture. 1 Peter 1. I don't know if I even have it on here. Yeah, I do. I think Isa led with it today. Though you do not see him, you love him. Do you agree with that? I'm going, to, I'm going to read it again. If you hear something you agree with, say amen. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Stand with me and let's pray. We're going to sing a few more songs. And I want to just encourage you as we sing, as you carry on from here, having heard this message about God who is joyful and who longs to pour his joy over you, that your response to that would be to draw near to him in song, in heart, in life, in obedience, that you would find a fresh deposit of joy in your life. Amen? So, Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise for your word. We ask that you would do mighty things in our midst. The mightiest at the moment, Lord, we pray that you would remove the spirit of discouragement and despair and cause, Lord, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, to abound all the more in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.